Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Today, we're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, child abuse is one of the worst forms of trauma that a human being endures and unable to comprehend what's happening, but, but knowing it's wrong, unable to protect themselves, unable to fight back. And when the violator is someone who's supposed to be protecting you, it's just unimaginable. But yet in our society today, it's happening all around us. In 2020 alone, more than 7 million child abuse reports were filed. And that's the number that was reported. More than 90% of those abused were abused by one or both parents, and that's just tragic. Cindy Benazera was one such child. She has authored a memoir titled Under the Orange Blossoms, where she shares her tough childhood of abuse. This is an inspirational story, a story of hope, a story where she shares her courage and willingness to heal. In her book, she offers tools to heal, and through the telling of her heartfelt story shows how anyone who's formed or has has faced forms of trauma, can be inspired by her story and wise words. Help me welcome to the program, Cindy Benazera. Cindy, thank you for taking the time to visit and to share your story and all about your book, Under the Orange Blossoms. I appreciate your time today. Good to be here. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you for having me. Amen. Now, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Cindy Benazera? Well, um, I'm a mom. I have four children. Um, One, my youngest is special needs. They're adult children. And um, my daughter and I run an event company. It's um, a luxury wedding planning company. We work together. And um, uh, on on the side of that business, I wrote this book. And um, it was really supposed to be a cookbook. And... um, styling and it didn't turn out to be a cookbook and as I was going through my memories and recipes I started writing um just kind of like trigger points that that popped up in my memories as I was going through my recipes and in that I realized I had five books in front of me and I thought the one that had the most shame the one that had the most weight and the one that I did not want to share was ultimately under the orange blossoms and i just nobody talks about sexual abuse and um we come from a good family um it's i just thought oh i could never do this i could never share this and even though i wanted to i just didn't have the strength i thought it was really disruptive to share it um and then to what end i thought well is it really going to do anything so i think there was a lot of that chatter in my head that I always thought carried it as a kid. And when I look at my children and I think about them having children, I thought like, oh, 
you know, to what end? Like, wh- like when does it stop? Like, when do people step up and start talking about uncomfortable things, like really uncomfortable things and things that could destroy your family, you know, put a, a riff in them? And so I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, it's just about time because it happens. One out of four girls, one out of six boys here in America. And those are reported cases. So right, right. just to think about the unreported cases is just mind blowing. Hey, man, you know, I agree. And as I was preparing for this interview, you mentioned that you were originally going to write a cookbook, but this is the book that emerged. How did that happen from a cookbook? (laughs) (laughs) What what, what sparked sparked that from a cookbook? Well, um, I think, you know, I was always writing my recipes. I think I kept on getting triggered. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that recipe I was, cause I love to cook. I always have been that person. And, um, I remember my mom saying, oh, you're going to be the matriarch. Oh, you're going to be the person who's going to have all the holidays. And, um, I thought, oh, that sounds really nice. Like I, I, I think that was really beautiful that my mother said, oh, most likely it'll be you. And um, in because I was always cooking or I was like organizing or decorating. And um, in that process, as I was going through that cookbook, I remember one was, oh my goodness, I was young. It was miss, I would run away. I would run away a lot as a child and I would run away to the neighbors. <laughs> it's still running away. And I packed my suitcase. I'd run away to the neighbors and it was Mrs. Anderson. And Mrs. Anderson would make me a grilled cheese sandwich on my runaway days and give me a seven up. And I just thought it was the most amazing comfort food you could possibly have. And I remember writing that recipe down. And when I came at that and I thought, oh, Oh no, Mrs. Anderson's grilled cheese sandwich. I remember all the good memories, but I remember um what happened to me and what prompted me to run away, you know, at the age of six or seven, and how I had this history of always running away, trying to find, you know, some kind something beautiful in life, but I couldn't share it with anybody. Um, because I was terrified if I shared it with somebody, then my mom would not have a house. I was, I mean, I believed everything that my dad told me, you know, that he would hurt her and he would hurt my sister. And I loved them the most out of everything. So um, it just kept me in fear and held me in fear. So, and I didn't want my mom, I didn't want to be homeless either. So I didn't want to lose my friends at school. I didn't want to shame our family. So when I looked at those recipes, especially when I was younger, I thought, gosh, like, this is crazy. So I would just try to take that thought really quickly, put it down on a piece of paper, and then just kind of go through my task. And that's how I ended up filling this whole notebook of memories of my childhood. Yeah. And and I think I read where your abuse started about the age of five, right? That's right. So at what point did it end? So from five to 10. So my dad, I'd have to say he was a true pedophile. Um, he wasn't interested in um in cuz once i became 10 i went through puberty and he wasn't interested in me after puberty because i had in his mind become a woman and he was really truly interested in in children and um i mean 
just even hearing that, hearing myself, yeah. sometimes I just can't believe it's my life. Like yeah. this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. In your book, you discuss the the physical, emotional, and the sexual abuse you experienced by your father. Share just a little bit of your story with us and how this changed your entire childhood. Um. Well. I'm going to start out with a positive first, because I just want to say, because I know there's a lot of people out there that have this, this too. And it was, I'm going to start off, I just have to, because I remember thinking that I was never going to be anything. I didn't think I was going to be, I didn't, well, first of all, I didn't know if I was going to live. I was always in fear that I was going to die. And I remember thinking, like, how am I going to make it through this? And so um, I just wanted to see an example of somebody who made it through and who was part of society and who ended up becoming healthy and healing. And so I just didn't even think that was a possibility because all I was trying to think about survival. And Bob, <laughs> do you mind refreshing my memory? I know I started my positive, but um, oh, going through why this the history of what was going on. So um, it started at five, it ended at 10. And um, I endured a lot of physical abuse, um, a lot, a lot. And I think that was part of the control. And my dad um, started grooming me at five. And, um, you know, sexual abuse could look different in a lot of different, uh, different ways. And sometimes we don't really realize what that what that could be. People just think it's um, intercourse. or, But for me, it was still sexual abuse, but it was fondling and um, a lot of grooming to that point. And then later on, it became pornography, and which is sexual abuse. And through this process, I would go through these motions just mainly out of fear um, I didn't want my the two people that I loved most in my life to be hurt. And my dad was very controlling, domineering. Um, we came from a, he was, uh, he had his master's degree, really smart. My mom was just this gorgeous looking woman. Um, from the outside with our picket fence, you would never believe what was going on behind those doors. And um, very well accomplished people. And so the trauma that I faced just going through that kind of shaped my entire life. And I was always seeking um, something more and something to heal from that experience. And um, the craziest part is I forgot about my entire childhood. I I actually thought my life was about swimming pools and Barbie dolls because I lived in Arizona. So when um, the abuse stopped, I forgot about everything. Just uh, my mind just shut down and I had no recollection of what happened to me. Yeah. Did your mother know what was going on or any other person? Mm, Well, I believe she did. Um, I believe my teachers might have known too because I had bruises all, all over me at times um but it's it, it was way back in in the 70s and there weren't really any laws or protection and I was in overcrowded classes um 
you know, I was, it was hot. So you could definitely see the bruises, but nothing was broken. Um, and I came to school clean and fed. So they don't really, they just didn't look at me as a deprived person. And um, my grades were slipping and uh, school was just a sanctuary, just someplace just to hide pretty much. So, and my mom, did my mom know? I don't know how a mom could not know uh, since I have four children. And I think you have a an idea of, of everything that's kind of going on in your household. But I do believe she was rationalizing a lot of the behavior. And when I did come to her and tell her what was going on, I um, got examined and my mom did leave him. But when I got examined, you know, they said, well, her hymen's intact. She doesn't have any broken bones. So I went right back into the house and my dad promised that he would never do it again. And he also said, well, I didn't do anything obvious from the facts that she's she's intact, so I didn't do anything. So my mom believed it, but I also believe that my mom didn't want to rock the boat, and I don't think she really wanted to. She just felt that she was going to protect me the best way she could. As, as you're going through this trauma as a child, how did you get through it? I mean, what was the strength you used to survive? Mm, mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, um, there was a point there. I was getting older and I was starting to become mm, more vocal. I think I was definitely more vocal. I saw my my sister and my mom complaining more about um, just, I think, the physical abuse and really complaining about my dad's behavior. He was like a tyrant. and. and um, I mean, one day it was, we were in the kitchen and my mom was joking like, oh, you you know, maybe the mailman's going to run over my dad or run over your father. And, you know, from there it was a lot of joking, but um, they were saying funny things like, well, maybe we'll take the toaster and, you know, when he's in the bath, we'll drop it in the bath. I mean, it was joking, maybe a way to relieve themselves, but I thought, well, gosh, what, what if I... Um, killed my dad? What if just to put an end to this? What if I do this? And I remember thinking, I was a little kid, like young, like, well, I had to be like eight, nine, 10, somewhere around there. And I remember thinking like, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I'm going to make this stop. But I didn't share it with my mom or my sister because I didn't want them to get in trouble. So I thought, well, I'll do this. And I remember thinking, um, I'll use the rat poisoning and put it in his coffee and his tea and maybe he'll die. And, or maybe I'll, I had taken even kitchen knives and I brought it into my bed. And I thought if my dad comes at night, then I'm going to stab him. But I would practice with my pillow and we weren't allowed to play with sharp knives. They were butter knives, you know, but I was still thinking like, well, I don't know how to get through those bones. And I mean, I was just thinking crazy, crazy thoughts. But at that time, when I realized that I'm out of control, I'm actually just like my dad. I'm I'm the monster. I've become this 
this dark force. And in that moment, when I started to step outside myself and thinking, I've lost control, I'm just as afraid as my dad, because nobody behaves like that. Um, Anybody who's domineering, who's a tyrant is afraid. I mean, they're a bully and most bullies are, and I recognize that off the school, you know, the playground, most bullies are are afraid. There's something going on with them. And I thought, okay, I'm my dad right now. And I remember thinking it was a conscious choice to kind of like, well, how do I not do what he is doing? How do I change myself and not become him, this monster? So that was a a really big pivotal point. Um, Amen. Amen. mm -hmm. Uh, In your childhood, you also traveled to many different countries. What what was your upbringing like? I mean, what was the purpose of all the travel? Well, um, so after 10, um, we moved away and my dad's uh, a petroleum engineer and we happened to move to Iran. And there, um, we lived there for a while. Uh, Where did we go afterwards? There weren't any boarding, there weren't any schools after 13. So we had to go and pick a boarding school and the company paid for that. So uh, most people pick Switzerland and I wanted to pick um, Austria because it was a little bit closer to my family. Um, I'm half German, half Mexican. It was closer to my family in Germany. And I thought, well, maybe I'd be able to pick up the language and maybe talk to some of my family. So um, I went over to Austria and then I would uh, travel back and forth to um, Iran to visit my you know, my parents. And then um, after... We went to boarding school um, and the Shah was overturned. My dad decided to go to Saudi Arabia and my mom was like, no, I'm not raising girls in Saudi Arabia um, since she's Mexican and she speaks Spanish. She says, well, I'm going to move to Spain. So then I ended up going to high school in Spain and living there all the way up until the time I came to the States when I was 18. And it, it was a... It was a a great experience, but it was really interesting when it came to the trauma that I had faced, that every place that I moved, I was able to recreate myself because I forgot my past. I forgot my entire childhood. So every place that I moved, I was able to kind of get back um, portions of my childhood and um, kind of almost take like a, a mental vacation through this crazy blackout this and the reason our our mind shut down is that the trauma is so significant that we just can't recall anything and so you just forget about all the the darkness and you just your mind just blanks and so when i was 16 and i was living in spain um i was interested in boys i just started recognizing like oh there's He's kind of cute, you know, and what, what what is this? What's going on with these boys here? And I was just becoming curious more about boys. And um, that piqued something in me. And with my first, you know, being sensual, having the ideas of being sensual, the whole thing, I realized that um, in a nightmare, that pieces of these nightmares 
could possibly have some truth to it. So that's how I was unable to unfold what happened to me as a kid. Um, It was through these nightmares that I would have, and they were disgusting. I mean, I just thought it was the most disgusting, vile thing because I had no recollection. I knew I didn't like my dad, but I just had, I couldn't believe that I would have these dreams about my own father. And when I questioned him, he denied it. So I thought, okay, I'm going crazy. And just the thought of having these dreams, I found it so um, disgusting. And I went into a depression and um, I, I thought, well, I, I can't live with myself. Like, I I don't want to live with myself. Like, I just didn't know how to make these dreams and these thoughts just stop. And being a teenager is confusing. And I just didn't know what reality was. But what I did to save myself during this process is I was writing down every memory, every dream, everything, and taking it out on my notebook and writing all these things down. And I was able to piece all these dreams and all these fragments that it was really reality. And when I came to the realization after I confronted my dad um, that it was real, even though he denied it. And I remember talking to my mom and she's like, why would you talk about your dad this way? And even though there was, I knew it was real. I I knew it was real. And um, it was just a very heavy, dark time to come out of such a depression. It was it was a long struggle to get out of that and find reason to thrive and love life all over again and just love myself because I detested myself after learning this. Man, amen. I don't understand why. And did you continue to have the father-daughter relationship with your dad once you grew up and were able to leave home? Um, yes. Um, in, in a very strange way, we did. I really believe in family. Um, I'm definitely a family person. I wish in some ways I wasn't. Um, but I can't help like my true nature. And I think if, if it's your nature to be close to family, then you should be close to family. And if your family's toxic, well then find boundaries. And I think that's what I did is I found boundaries with my dad. Um, so every time he'd come say, come visit me. And then later on when I had kids, I'd remind him at the door and go, Hey dad, you know, like give him a hug and say, um, I, I would just say you could go to the the dining room table, but into the bathroom, but no going into the kids' room. Do you have to stay in this main room? A lot of times he would say, like, why would you say this? Because he never admitted. And I was still an adult and my children were going, it was going on. My children were teenagers. And every time you come to the door, I'd say that I, you know, like, Dad, you know, you made your choice. So I'm making my choice. And I need yeah. some boundaries here. And he would always go, why? you saying these things, you know, I just, I can't believe you're still believing this stuff and this never happened. And, um, it happened, he would do it all the way. (laughs) This is crazy. I still held fast onto my boundaries. Um, and he was getting up until his late years, like, uh, getting a little feeble. So I did even have, um, a real, you know, contact with him but it was pretty strained yeah 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 amen at at what point in your life did you arrive at the place where basically you realized you had to forgive him in order for you to have some peace 
Well, um, so actually it was, it was hard because, um, you know, my dad's older. Uh, I looked at him as a, a person, somebody who, you know, despite all my feelings and whatever emotions I had about my father or whatever he did, I looked at him as a person. I thought, okay, he's in a diaper. He needs care. He needs medical care. And I could not just turn my head. And I I realized um, I just had to be true to myself that I wouldn't have done that to I wouldn't have walked away from anybody. And that's just my nature. And I think if I would have denied him, I would have had regrets. And I never want to have regrets or change who I am as a person. And I think I learned that a little bit as a kid. And um, I remember just thinking, I I have to take care of him. I remember going to my husband and saying, I have to take care of him. He was like, really? You want to take care of your dad after all this? I'm like, well, it's not like I... I'm having this loving relationship. I just want to take, make sure that he passes with dignity, you know, because that's how I would want to be treated. And he, nobody else was by him. And I understand that nobody was by him. And at one time when he was at the nursing home, um, he said to me, you know, I can't believe you're here. And I thought, oh, like, well, my dad doesn't really talk about heartfelt things. And he said, I can't believe you're here, you know, because everybody's, you know, kind of abandoned me. And out of all people, you're here. And then I thought, okay, this is my other opportunity. I probably asked thousands of times of why dad, you know, why did you do these things to me? And he said that um, he wanted to break my will. Um, he referred to he referred to me like a metaphor out like a duck out in the water because we were he was looking at the water and he said that um he wanted to break my will because he felt that I was always that duck in the water who you would splash water on and the water would run off its back and he also shared later on that he he was raped um by soldiers and that in his life he couldn't change anything about it. So he wished he would have been a little bit like me or had my spirit. But I thought it was really ironic that he wanted to break my spirit for something that he admired. And I remember thinking like, this is just crazy making. Why would you ever want to do that to your child? You know, like, you know, if you admire something, why would you want to break that? And I thought, well, maybe it's because he didn't possess that. So, I, I mean, I don't know the 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 whys, but I just found it more like he finally kind of ad- admitted slightly, you know, but it was mind-boggling. Um, yeah. Just Amen. very disturbed. I think I just came to a point where like he's ill, like he's truly ill. And there's sometimes with illness, there's no rationalizing yeah. Yeah. behavior. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We are all out of time for this in-depth discussion about child abuse. This We're talking with the author, Under the Orange Blossoms, author Cindy Benezra. Cindy has been sharing about the emotional, physical, and sexual abuse she suffered from her father. She's been sharing her story from this book, and she has shared how she was able to survive and and how the abuse ended and why. And this has only been part one of a great two-part interview. You need to come back for the next episode as we learn how she finally confronted her father, 
And the disturbing information she learned in doing so, hint, she wasn't the only one. Yeah. But we'll also learn how she actually came to a place of forgiveness for her father, to the amazement of the family. And that's what we'll be sharing in the next episode. Amen? In the meantime, drop down in the show notes. Click the link right there to order her book, Under the Orange Blossoms. This is a book you definitely need to add to your reading list. Amen? Till next time, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.